Welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamanini. On today's episode, I am in conversation with the two winners of the 2022 Cleveland Prize for the Most Promising Musical Theater Lyricist. A few days ago, I was fortunate enough to speak with writers Cesar Alvarez and Isabella Dallas. The Cleveland Prize was established via the will of Tony and Pulitzer Prize winning lyricist Edward L. Cleveland, best known for his work on a chorus line, and comes with an annual prize which in recent years has totaled $100,000 each, paid over two years. Over more than three decades, some of the previous prize winners include Craig Carnelia, Glenn Slater, John Weidman, Michael Corey, Kirsten Childs, Michael John Lacusa, Chad Bagellan, Jeff Marks, Robert Lopez, Jason Robert Brown, Nell Benjamin, Lawrence O'Keefe, David Javerbaum, Joe Iconis, David Lindsay Bear, Kate Kerrigan, Adam Guan, Marcy Heisler, Shayna Taub, and more. In our conversation, Cesar and Isabella tell me what it was like to learn that they had won the prize, what it was like to join this incredible list of writers, what they plan to do with the prize money, and the brilliant shows that they are working on, as well as much, much more. Additionally, we discuss what pieces they will be performing and presenting this coming Monday, February 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at the Virtual Ceremony for the 32nd Annual Cleveland Prize for Musical Theater that will be streaming via Broadway On Demand. We, of course, will have links in the show notes and on broadwayradio.com to where you can watch the ceremony, either live or on demand, and how you can follow Cesar and Isabella and their shows online and on social media. So... Without further ado, here's my conversation with Cesar Alvarez and Isabella Dallas. Cesar and Isabella, thank you so much for joining us. We are talking just about a week before the official Cleveland Prize for Musical Theater presentation that'll be happening on Broadway On Demand on the 21st. So most importantly, congratulations to both of you. Um, Cesar, let's start with you. What was the moment like when you found out that you had won this award? <laughs> um, thanks for having us today. It was an email that was sort of odd. And just that, wait, they just sent you an email? That's I, it? They tried to call me, but my phone okay. does not ring when a when an unfamiliar number is calling. Um, and it was an email sort of like, this is from the Cleveland Foundation. Please call us back. And there is a definite physiological moment where you enter a little bit of a portal, which is wait where you're thinking is my life about to completely and fundamentally change forever um and it it definitely was a wild wild feeling to get that call and to um hear them say it out loud when you or that looms very large for those of us struggling to write musicals absolutely when you got the email and they're like this is from the cleveland foundation give us a call did you like did you immediately realize like holy crap like that's what this is or were you still like protected so you didn't get your hopes up too high until you actually talked to them and heard it officially as someone that gets a lot of rejections from a lot of different things um usually the e i was pretty sure that the email meant i must have won but i was really trying to just not 
jump yeah, to yeah. conclusions until I actually heard them say it. And even after they said it, I was pretty convinced that it was all a fluke for at least a, a month until it came out publicly. So, yeah. Isabella, did you have the fortune to actually answer the phone call or at least have it ring so you could actually hear somebody tell it to you over the phone? Or did you have to go through the process like uh, Cesar did of getting the email? I was on Zoom naturally when <laughs> when uh, Richard Maltby called, um, and then I got the email similar to uh, Cesar's, uh, which, like Cesar is saying, I mean, if you're getting an email and they're saying to call them back, that's that's mm-hmm. usually a good thing. Um, but I I don't think I, I and I still haven't processed it maybe as well as Cesar has. Um, just because I think, I think I tend to filter out kind of like the two extremes of reactions that I get from people. Like, I think I filter out the extreme negatives when, when I get extreme negative feedback. And I think I also filter out when I get extreme positive feedback. So there's like, just, there's just something in my head that's just like, sniff like do away with the outliers and let's just do the like work with the bell curve and this is definitely an outlier in terms of you know what you expect as a musical oh, yeah. theater writer so i still don't i still don't feel like i have processed this appropriately yeah, sure but and this is obviously an extreme in terms of even in the awards world uh, for musical theater rights this is an extreme but like you can filter out the emotions and the praise and the negatives and all that stuff but like this comes with legitimate potentially as Cesar's even said like life and career changing um, opportunities that are you know eventually tangible um, when you kind of did realize okay this is real this is really happening what did that mean for you? Not as a person, you know, obviously it's exciting as a person, but as a writer, how did that change how you approached what you were doing, Isabella? Oh, man. Um, well, the first thing is student loans. <laughs> that was the first phrase that came to mind. Um, but, you know, it's funny because Cesar was the Cesar is the you know founder of the Polyphone Festival mm-hmm. and one of the first things which is which is an incubator for new musicals and one of the first things that I thought about was is there some kind of way that I can funnel this back into the musical theater community somehow and especially um Especially, I, I I am still trying to think of a way to help musical theater writers too. It just it really says something. I think that um, Mr. Kleban founded this prize, and I feel this great sense of legacy and of writers kind of reaching down <laughs> through the generations and giving a helping hand. Um, so, of course, that those are kind of like the big two things, I guess, student loans. But then also, um, I wonder how I can help, even though, you know, I'm a writer, I'm not a producer and I'm not an artistic director, but it's just something that I, I, w- I would like to continue thinking about as kind of the models for making theater change, you know, during this strange time that we live in. 
Yeah. And Cesar, uh, Isabella mentioned the Polyphone Festival. What, where did your mind go in terms of realizing that you were going to get this huge prize and it could have those life-changing applications that you mentioned? I think in making a life of art and um, we spend so much time building up our ability to endure rejection and to kind of continue to find a way no matter what obstacles get put up there there's not a lot of teaching around what do you do when actually something goes right and when you actually get acknowledged or you have a huge success and and i don't i spend a lot of time talking to friends and students about enduring um and and i think less less ink has been spilled about like how do you actually manage someone saying no you're doing a good job and here's here's a um a lot of support uh so i think I'm just trying to keep true to my North star around why I make my work. Um, and yes, mostly just paying bills, which really suck the life out of you. <laughs> like financial insecurity just ruins creativity. It's just, then this, this, there's this myth of the starving artist and the like down and out artists as though that's the thing that helps you be creative when really like most artists will tell you, no, that really doesn't help you be creative. Um, every single person in the world experiences great suffering. And that is, that is um, a huge part of how we learn about the human experience. But being just stressed out about money all the time just makes it really hard to be creative. So if feeling like this is, I'm going to get to enter a time in my life where even if it's just for a couple of years, I'm not really stressed out about money. It starts to fuel ideas. Cause then you're like, well, what am I going to do? What, you know, I can, I don't have to, I'm, I'm currently like doing a handful of gigs that I just took on because I just needed to make ends meet. And I, and I was like, wow, like, I don't have to do these gigs next year. I'm going to get to really focus on my work. And I, I think not only is what Cleveland's the money he set aside so incredible for us, it's also the work he did was so incredible for us. And, and he kind of says with this money, like do your work and, and it's worth it. And it's important. And if you, and if you're successful like me, give it to artists, you know, yeah. and and even if you're not as successful as Ed Cleveland, who most people will never be, it's still um, an incredible gift to receive. And it and your art matters, even if only a few people see it. And so I'm trying to just stay really, keep really deep about it and just be in, in, in gratitude, I think, is, is something I'm thinking about. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned the fact that it's going to let you do the work, and that's what Ed Cleveland wanted everyone who received this award to be able to do what are you working on right now um so i'm working on uh i have four unproduced musicals that are all in various stages of their little weird lives um right the most recent thing i've written is called the potluck which is a story of um the Greensboro massacre where five anti-capitalist protesters were murdered by Ku Klux Klan in 1979. Two of the victims are people that I was named after because my parents were really mm -hmm. close friends with the organization that was attacked. 
and I created a musical, which is a kind of spiritual musical recovery from a trauma that happened before I was born. Um, so it's a ritual. It's also about capitalism and queerness and about these ghosts of these sort of chosen ancestors. And it's very absurd. Um, that's the big project I'm working on. And I'm also working on um, a piece called Noise, which is about a bunch of musicians trying to redesign society with music and a piece called The Elementary Space Time Show, which is tells a story of a um, young woman who attempts suicide and then finds herself in this cosmic game show she has to win in order to die. Um, and so I'm also trying to turn that into a, a musical screenplay for the first time I'm trying to write a screenplay. So I have a lot uh, to work on. <laughs> well, and, and they all seem like very basic and straightforward musical comedies that are not uh, wrestling with larger uh, ideas or anything. So I, I think that they are very straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> Our comedies, though. I just, yeah, of course. They've got to be comedies. they got to be comedies. Yeah. Well, yeah, Isabella, you, in addition to the Cleveland Prize, you also were a recent recipient of the Fred Ebb Award. So what are you and your collaborators, uh, collaborator or collaborators um, working on currently as well? I work with a wonderful composer named Tataya Sinutok, and we are writing two shows together at the moment. The first is called Half the Sky. And it's about an Asian American woman climbing Mount Everest a year after her sister's death. And the second is called Sun Watcher, based on the true story of Japanese female astronomer Hisako Koyama and her experience during World War II living in Tokyo. Um, and that's intertwined with the myth of the sun goddess Amaterasu in Japanese culture. And where are those in the developmental process? Are you still fairly early on? Is this something that because of the Cleveland Prize, you're going to be able to focus more time on? Or are you finishing these up? Uh, you know, are they at the end of their, you know, gestation and are ready to go out into the world somewhere? Half the Sky was adapted into a radio play by the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a really great um, pandemic project um, and also taught me a lot about the show. Um, but now Half the Sky, I, we've been working on it for a few years uh, very intensely and it's it's gone through many drafts, uh, full drafts. Um, so we are kind of getting ready at this point to get that show on its feet somehow. Um, it's kind of all a uh, TBA for the next uh, year or two, I guess. Um, sure. But it's a it's it's a show about climbing Mount Everest, and we are looking forward to working with a choreographer on on that piece because it really is it's an intensely physical piece. Um, yeah. So that's going to be fun. Sun Watcher uh, was we started writing that show during the pandemic. Um, and so actually all the presentations we've had of it so far have been virtual. Um, and we did with the civilians last year, we put together a kind of 
uh, we kind of call, we called it a mood board, like an audiovisual mood board. But we filmed dancers and recorded singers, and we overlaid, you know, these images of um, Hisako Koyama's real drawings of sunspots and World War II newsreels and um, Japanese paintings of uh, the traditional mythology. So that's all been really nifty and neat. Um, but now we're moving into a time where, you know, in-person collaboration is now easier to facilitate. And so it's really going to be a time of figuring out how does this work as a theater piece? Because it's still, you know, it's still a theater piece. It's still a live theater piece and it's meant to be experienced in person. You know, we all, we all like adapted as best we could for the pandemic, but we're definitely, I'm definitely a musical theater writer, and this is going to be something that's going to be alive and in the room. Yeah. For both of you, when we have this uh, virtual ceremony for the Cleveland Prize coming up on Monday, February 21st on Broadway On Demand, they are promising that there will be musical performances from this year's recipients. And of course, it is going to be hosted by Tony Winners and Cleveland board members Richard Maltby Jr. and Maury Yeston. Um, Cesar, can you give us a preview as to what performances will be coming from your uh, catalog of, of writing? Yeah, I'm going to play two songs from The Potluck, one of which is the show closer, which is I'm just going to play it um, and sing it solo. And then I earlier in the pandemic, I commissioned my 10 year old daughter to direct a music video, which I think I'm. I don't know. I, I probably didn't pay her a market rate, but um, she did a really good job. And I'm going to um, I did a little edit of that for this ceremony, which I feel like is appropriately lowbrow and absurd. And also, you know, my main collaborators during the pandemic were my three kids. They were the people that were hanging around and my partner and we didn't I'm a really collaborative artist, so I, I I made a few I made a few pieces with them, and they're pretty unpredictable and mm. catastrophic in their behavior. But it's kind of punk rock, I think. Yeah, that seems to fit with the vibe of the shows you described a minute ago that you're working on. So having a little chaos seems to be uh, not only in the work but also in the familial blood as well. Yeah, I'm trying to bring <laughs> the, the real, the yeah. real. Say that. Yeah. Uh, Isabella, what about you? What what might we be hearing on Monday night? You'll be hearing a song from Half the Sky called Outside, uh, sung by the protagonist, Orly, and um, it's performed by Shannon Tayo, the wonderful Shannon Tayo, who is um, starring in The Chinese Lady at the Public uh, very soon. Mm-hmm. Um And then you'll be hearing and seeing a snippet of the virtual presentation of Sun Watcher that I mentioned. So it's a, um, we put together a film of a dancer um, overlaid with um, some images of outer space and the wonderful singing of Gemma Na. um, And the dancer is Natsuko Hirano. Then this was all uh, directed brilliantly by Nana Dakin. Fantastic. Well, I'll wrap this up because uh, I don't want to keep you from all of the work that you are both clearly doing for too long. But you mentioned kind of the emotions of finding out that you won. I-, I wonder, as we are coming out of the pandemic 
and looking back on the list of uh, all of the incredible people who have won the Cleveland Prize over the past, I guess, 30 plus years um, at this point um, from, you know, Jason Robert Brown to Bobby Lopez to John Weidman and, and so many people in between. For for somebody like you, Isabella, who tries to filter out the high and low emotions, do, how does it feel to see your name alongside those type of creators who have gone on from their early career successes um, that were honored by the Cleveland Foundation to go and do so many things? Does that add more pressure or is that something where you're just like, I'm just not I'm just ignoring that because that's so outside of the bell curve that you normally focus on? <laughs> Um, I'm a super young writer too. So I have a lot to learn and I feel, I feel more like, um, I'm a welcomed student than like, than that I'm like a bust of a statue on a pedestal or something in a row of statues. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting because, like one of the first things that I thought about actually when I, when I got the call was like how I might fit in to the legacy. And there's like a, I mean, it's, I guess it's just what you have to deal with all the time when you're an artist and a creative and a writer, but it's, I think it's good to keep a level of tension with that. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. If it's too, if you're too comfortable with being the <laughs> the next generation of like, the, you know, the the people you mentioned, I think there's, I think that's a little off. It just doesn't like sit well with me. So I, I guess the challenge when you're, when you get to be on a list of a bunch of people like that is, you still have to maintain your own integrity like Cesar is saying you still have you still have to be your own artist and sometimes that may come into conflict with you know tradition and history and what has gone before you but that's good and that's probably in the end what is best for for the art form and for everyone hopefully yeah well, Cesar, Isabella said she looks at this as a student uh, in this long line of illustrious names. You yourself are an actual assistant professor, um, so you are quite accustomed to being on the other side of that. What do you think the lessons are from having this opportunity that you think you can not only employ yourself, but pass on to your students, whether they are in the classroom or someone else you work with uh, in, in a more collaborative way? I mean, I just, I, my first musical I started writing was in the closing moments of grad school where I was trying to study contemporary art and sound art. And so my musical theater career started almost as a prank of me trying to actually short circuit my relationship to an artistic field. And I deeply believe in musical theater. I think the pandemic taught me so deeply that theater is fundamentally the art of togetherness. And it's why theater got hit so hard in the pandemic is because it's the one thing we need is togetherness. Like we need people in a room doing stuff. And, but it's also just why it's so crucial in this moment of healing and of actually processing the trauma, this global trauma. And 
so for me to see my weird experimental non-normative participatory musicals alongside these other musicals actually is just really hopeful because it feels to me like what I've always believed, which is that musical theater is actually this incredibly ancient and expansive practice that humans have been doing um, as musical storytelling pretty much in every culture in the world. Um, I think about musicals as just musical storytelling and to get to be alongside all these artists feels to me like just pure possibility. Like the musical theater is a space that can be grown. It can be made to encompass a whole lot of different kinds of aesthetics and practices. That musical theater isn't a genre. It's a form. It's just a, it's a formal and structural idea. It's not any, it's not about like you have to sing this way or you have to look this way or you have to have this many people in your cast. It's just, it's an ancient practice. And I, I feel really hopeful to get to be here because it feels like it's just going to mean more art gets made and, and more possibility gets to be in our form. Yeah. Well, I am thoroughly excited for both of you, uh, not only for this award, but to see what is coming down the pike for both of you. All of the shows that you mentioned sound exactly like the type of things that we need now, both from an, uh, like that community standpoint that you mentioned, but also the types of work that I think continue to push the art form forward. So thank you both for talking about this journey. Congratulations again. I'm very much looking forward to watching the Cleveland Foundation Award virtual ceremony streaming online at Broadway On Demand coming up on mon Monday, February 21st. We will have um, links to where you can watch that and I'll throw in some social media information for both Cesar and Isabella uh, if they are so willing to allow me to uh, in the show notes uh, so everyone can follow along with their successes and journeys in the future. So thank you both for joining us and uh, continued success and congratulations. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Isabella. Thank you so much.